0: I like to imagine that each year God invites me to a party. God drops me a note and says, no gifts, casual dress, come just as you are. I like to imagine that I am brave enough to go. I like to imagine that I decide that I am worth it. This was no pity invite. There is no obligatory postage. God wants me there so i get myself together smudged glasses sensitive ego wrinkled shirt and all i ring the doorbell a few minutes late on an account of the fact that i lost my keys twice while trying to get out the door and i almost turn back to hide in my car afraid that i might embarrass myself over the appetizers or small talk but then god answers the door And God says, you're here. And I smile because I am. And with every step past that threshold, I know that God is cheering me on. It's the pride of a parent watching their child take the first step. If I freeze, God is not disappointed. If I fall, God is not mad. But if I trust the invitation, if I move closer, I know God celebrates. Friends, you've got mail. It's an invitation to dust off your shoes, to go deeper, to trust that you're worth it, to lose your keys and your faith, and then to find them both along with your worth. You're invited. We are invited again and again and again. This invitation is for you.
1: Mask problems. How's everybody doing? Okay. Gotta got have a master's degree to untangle this. Just talk amongst yourselves. There we go. <laughs> Wait, oh, there it is. Give it up. (laughs) All right, good to see everybody. Thanks for connecting. Thanks for being here. Thanks for tuning in online if you are uh, uh, logged in. And thank you if you're out in the atrium enjoying the sunshine. It's good to be with everyone today through all these different mediums. I love the line in that poem, which, by the way, that poem you can read in your... uh, In your Lent guide, the devotion book that was mailed out or that's on tables or as you came in, or uh, you can do it digitally, whatever it wants. But that poem is there. If you want to read through it again, uh, you can do that. But I love the line in that poem that says, the invitation is for you. Everybody loves an invitation, right? Usually, right? Usually everybody loves an invitation. Uh, There are some invitations that we don't love, but we do love to get a good invitation. How many of you ever got an invitation that you weren't quite sure about? Anybody? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So hey, just so you all know, up in the booth, the slides went away from me on the screen here. So I'm not sure what happened, but uh, they'll get it fixed for us. So yeah, I I get invitations these days, uh, a lot of invitations for Zoom. Do y'all get Zoom invites, Zoom invitations, or I get the Google meeting invite? Yeah. The nice thing about the Google invite meeting is it teases me as if I could say no. I get that choice. Yes, no, maybe, right? I'm not a big fan of it. And here's the thing about invitations not all of our invitations are welcome, right? Have you ever got an invitation, you saw it, and then all of a sudden, all you could think about was, how am I going to get out of this? Have you ever had that? Let's just be honest. Like somebody has invited you to come and help them move. (laughs) It's like, how could I get out of this? How could I not do this? Sometimes you get an invitation and you just think, what if I just gave them some money instead, and then I don't have to go, right? Because <laughs> some invitations are worrisome, right? We get that invitation, we think, oh, I don't know if I'm going to do And some are wanted. Some of us really, there are invitations that we wish we would get, right? And we felt the sting of not getting the invitation. How many of y'all were ever invited to a party in high school, let's say? Anybody? I was, I was not invited to a party. I was never in that group of, um, what's the word for it? Cool. Cool is probably the most wor- best word to describe what I was not ever. And so and it was interesting, though. I kind of knew that, so it never really bothered me that I never got invited to a party. But that's just kind of the truth. But, but sometimes we feel left out because we don't get that invitation. Sometimes we feel uh, slighted, and it can be hurtful. And there are some invitations that we feel really good about. Now, why is that? Why is it that some invitations we want and some invitations we don't want? And I think it's because our experience with the who... And our experience with the what of the invitation determines how we will emotionally respond to that, right? So if we've had a good experience with a person and they invite us to come over and hang out, we're like, yeah, that'll be fun. But if you had a bad experience with them and they invite you, right, that who goes, oh, I don't care what it is. No, thank you. Sometimes the what, though, can overwhelm the who. You know what I'm saying? Right? Like sometimes the what. So if I got invited by somebody to go watch a Denver Broncos game with their season tickets. I know who you are in this room. I know who has them. Or if I got invited to go watch the Denver Nuggets play the, the Boston Celtics, like, I could get over the who of that invitation probably, right? I could, I could tolerate most of you go watch that game, right? Use your tickets, your gas, right? I could get over the miserable company, right? But sometimes the what feels so good, we'll, we'll get over it. Now, here's the thing. So our, our topic today begins with this statement. And, and you, if you were paying attention or if you are in the room or uh, if your eyes kind of clicked on when you started to hear voice speaking during that opening song, the keyword there was invited, And so we're beginning with this premise in our journey of Lent that God is inviting us in again and again. Now, for some of you that are tuning in at home, listening in, you're thinking to yourself, I don't know about that invite. (laughs) Like my experience with God, my experience with God's people has not been one that I'm all too keen on being invited back into. Right? Some of you are, are listening to this phrase, God invites us in again and again. There's a, a, a great deal of pain that comes with that because how God has been represented or how God has been experienced through people has left you feeling like an outsider, has left you feeling like the very person you are, all of who you are, couldn't possibly be accepted by God, that your gender wasn't good enough, your sexuality didn't fit the way this person said it ought to, your race wasn't quite quite what was accepted. And so to hear that God is inviting you in again and again promotes some problems. And then there are some who are here this invitation that God invites us in again and again. Your experience has been very positive, right? Your experience, you've been able to fit into that kind of mold. You've been able to fit into that. It's made sense to you. And so to hear that God is inviting you in again and again can produce a, a, a wonderful response, but why, why such a difference? Why such a big spectrum, right? Do you ever wonder that? Like if God is constant, why is that? Well, because we all have different ideas and understandings of God, but I think a great place to look to understand the who of this invitation is Jesus, right? So I come to kind of the scripture and the person of Jesus with this belief. It's a faith belief. I can't prove this. It's not something that I could, uh, you know, get down and give you a formula, but I come with this faith that says, Jesus is the best visible expression of the invisible God that is love. That when we look at the life of Jesus, what we know about Jesus, I come in faith to that person and says, this is the fullness of God in, in human embodiment." And so Jesus can give us a great idea of the who behind this invitation. And I want to look at one sentence, a couple sentences actually, that Jesus made in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, to just get the who behind the invitation. Because I don't think we can get to the point where do we want to accept the invitation? Do we want to live? Until we can kind of say, well, who is this that's inviting me? And one thing that Jesus tells us in this statement and that Jesus reveals to us is that this God who invites us in is one that cares for us again and again. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 11. Jesus says, come to me all you who labor and are burdened. I love that Jesus has the sensitivity to recognize somebody that's weary and labored and burdened, frustrated, just exhausted. Y'all ever been exhausted? Raise your hand up nice and high. Have you ever been exhausted? Some of you are exhausted right now. Wrap this up, Ryan. I can't deal with it. <laughs> right, we, we labor. And Jesus, who represents God, who is God in flesh, honors that and doesn't gloss over it. doesn't say, oh, come on, toughen up. No, 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 that there is a, a caring nature to this God. Jesus also helps us and reveals to us that this God who invites us and not only cares for us again and again, but regenerates us again and again. Regenerates us, renews us, revives us, right? This is what he says. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest. I love it that Jesus doesn't say, come to me, all you who labor and burdened, and I'll tell you how you're doing it wrong. I'll make sure you know, here's the six steps to get further. No, no. He says, I'm going to give you rest. Rest is regenerative, right? Rest is that thing which physical rest, it renews our strength. Spiritual rest renews our spiritual uh, well-being and our mental health. And this is what God wants to do. This is a God that invites us and says, hey, here's the deal. I'm going to give you this wonderful thing called rest. And rest can restore and regenerate hope when hope is lost. When our souls can find rest, we all of a sudden start to see like if the storehouse of hope has been diminished, all of a sudden we can pause and rest in love's care. And all of a sudden we just start to feel that hopefulness again. Our energy goes up, from rest, physical rest. You know, sometimes we just get so tired and then we start to engage in a conversation with our spouse or our partner. And all of a sudden we're like, "Uh, we need to stop this and I need to get some rest. And then we can pick up the conversation. And then we're kind of ready for it because our mental health, it's really, and this is what God does. This is God is inviting us in again and again to find rest, to be regenerated. And in a place of regeneration with the storehouses full, Jesus reveals that this is a God who invites us And offers us gentle wisdom, gentle wisdom again and again. That this God of the universe, this this thing that is behind creation, that is behind the good, that is behind our well-being, says, I have something to say to you. I have a way for you, a way of life for you. And I love that it's gentle wisdom. Y'all ever experience like arrogant wisdom? How wonderful is that? You ever work for that person who just knows, and they know that they know everything, and they get frustrated at you because you don't know everything, and then when they try to show you something, all you want to do is quit, right? Why did nobody, why, why is Jess raising her hand? She should not put her, put her hand down. No. Right, we have those people in our lives that when they give us their wisdom, they do it in an arrogant way. They do it in a way that they can't believe you couldn't possibly understand. How could you be so stupid? Thank you. <laughs> Somebody needs to check their parenting. <laughs> like, no, I'm just kidding. Right? That's how we feel. Right? They're those people that just, they make us feel like we are not smart, They like we not there, we couldn't possibly get it. But Jesus offers us an understanding and reveals a God that says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Right? The act of wisdom is learning, for I'm meek and humble of heart. In other words, you can, you can get what I'm giving you in a pace that you'll understand. Like my humility allows me to go at your pace, to walk with you. As you can grasp it, I can give it. And I'm not going to give you more than you can grasp. And because of that, because I'm meek and humble, and I give wisdom to you in a gentle way, you'll find rest. This idea of a yoke, by the way, was the way in which people would talk about a a body of teaching, like what a rabbi would say to the people who followed that rabbi's way of understanding God and living out their faith, per se. This is how the world works. And so you'd follow that rabbi, you'd put their yoke on you. And Jesus says, the yoke that I offer is different than the one that has burdened you down. so Jesus, in these few statements, reveals that this is a God who cares about us, that this is a God who invites us to recognize that you can be regenerated again and again and again. And this is a God that says, I'm gentle, that I'll walk with you, that I will unveil and reveal myself to you and my plans for your life in a pace that doesn't scare you. I know that I think about my life and I look back and say, man, if God would have told me where I'd be today, 25 years ago, I'd have been like, whoa. I couldn't have handled it. I I think about things that I believed and thought about God 10 years ago, 15 years ago, five years ago. And where I was, if if, if God would have said, here's the deal, Ryan, you're going to have a fuller understanding of love and of God, and it's going to look like this in 15 years. I'd be like, oh, that's the devil. That's the devil trying to deceive me. But God's just gently walking with us if we will come alongside and and, and accept this invitation. And what's so powerful is not only does Jesus reveal the who of the invitation, but Jesus reveals a lot about the what of the invitation in this. Because he says it again, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And what is this? This is an invitation into a mercy-filled relationship, not a law-filled performance. Right? The people that Jesus uh, would have been speaking to, they were used to a yoke that was heavy, a burden of the law, a burden of rules to follow to make sure that you were in, to make sure that God would welcome you, to make sure that you had it all right and that you wouldn't be cursed by this God who sat on a throne, very temperamental. And Jesus says, hold on a second. No, no, no. My yoke is different. And so Jesus reveals a mercy-filled God, a mercy-filled God that invites us into a rest-filled way of living again and again. And here's the thing, everything around us wants to push us out of that rest-filled way of living. And that's why we gather once a week, because we need to be reminded that we're called into a different path. We need to be reminded that we're called into a different way of being. And the only way we can embrace that and receive that invitation is to know fully that God is filled with mercy and is welcoming everybody in and is calling all of us into this space. Our anchor verse for this Lent season, the one that I would encourage everybody to memorize, comes from a very interesting book of the Bible called Lamentations, which was written at kind of the low point of the nation of Israel. They had been exiled. Their homes had been burned. Their religion had been crushed. Uh, Their God had been destroyed by the gods of the Babylonians. It was a bad deal. And in the midst of all that pain, this is what the poet writes. The Lord's acts of mercy are not exhausted. His compassion is not spent. This is a mercy filled God that it can't possibly exhaust God of all the mercy. Why? Because his mercies are new every morning. They are renewed each morning. Great is your faithfulness. See, God's fidelity, his faithfulness, love's faithfulness in your life and my life is not based upon my ability to serve, to do, to be. It's based upon that God, his mercy flows every day. Every day it's new. Every day God says, come to me. Let's walk this path at your pace in your way. I'm going to have Pastor Katie come out. She's going to help us understand something pretty amazing about this mercy-filled God's invitation. That this mercy-filled God is inviting us again and again into this relationship. But here's what's so powerful. This mercy-filled God doesn't just leave us to figure it out on our own. Doesn't say, hey, I'll catch you on the other side. But this mercy-filled God meets us again and again.
2: Thanks, Ryan. Hey, did Ryan mention when he started that uh, the the, Melissa, who recited the poem on the video, that's his sister. Did he tell you that? I wasn't listening at the very beginning. That's why I'm really genuinely asking you that. No, he didn't. He's too humble of a person to brag about the depth of talent in his family, but it's there. Yeah, and Melissa and her uh, family join us from Maine, so they're part of our Orange Dots Network. Well, it's good to see all of you here in the room at the Taft Avenue facility. I see your smiling eyes. <laughs> Ryan and I had a conversation with a person, and we spoke with this person after the last service for quite some time. We're talking about the password to something, helping this person. We thought we were speaking to David Grossman, who uh, produces our video for the kids' cast. This person at the end says, Oh, hey, nice to meet you. By the way, my name is Anthony. We know David Grossman really well. And with the mask on, Anthony looked exactly like David Grossman. Isn't that weird? You know, these are strange times. We're in pandemic land. But good news, a mercy-filled God meets us again and again. And thank you, Ryan, for really painting a picture. Who is this God and exactly what might these meetings be like? My personal story of meeting, of meeting with God is that um, despite the fact that my family wasn't very churchy, I somehow came to faith as a as a very young child. And then I came into spiritual leadership as a very young adult. And that was probably because of a love that I had for the wisdom of scripture, probably for, for passages like what Ryan just said Taught out of beautiful words uh, from Jesus. Come to me, everyone who's weary and overburdened, and I'll give you rest. Beautiful words like uh, uh, there are three things that will last forever. Faith and hope and love. And the greatest of these is love. I was captured by the wisdom of scripture. Probably drew me in to spiritual leadership. Um, Also very desirous of living my own life as a spiritual journey. I wanted that. I was on a quest for meaning, um, for wholeness, and probably for joy that I somehow knew came to us from God. And I was grateful to have um, sort of, you know, been found by that early in my life. uh, I wanted to see that in my own household, the people that I live with on a day-to-day basis, my church, the people that I'm in spiritual community with, my society, our civic life, I was a social studies teacher for a little bit of time before I was a pastor. And so I have this like longing that our civic life would be civil and whole and full of joy. Can you imagine how I feel right now watching what's going on all around us? It's a little bit of a hard time in our civic life, but still that dream or that vision that life is a spiritual journey um, captured me. And yet in all of this experience, I can never say that I found God. It wasn't like that. God surprised me at turns and found me, met with me over and over again. When I was on the ball, faithful with the spiritual journey, kind of in tune, and when I was out of touch, not even a a no-show, you know, at my own meeting, um, God would keep finding me. And I I discovered a lot of meaning in these meetings. meetings, Almost never when they're happening, you know. Just like all of you, it's always in a looking back. Discovering the meaning, Um, most of it happening just on ordinary days. God showing up in the sunshine or... Uh, you know, the love of a favorite pet or uh, a child or, you know, a, an important person in my life. But some of these meetings, these again and agains, have been such stunning experiences that they've set the trajectory for my life. And I think that's part of the spiritual journey as well. We're all looking for spiritual direction. Uh, you wouldn't be here at, you know, 9 or 11 at Taft Avenue or tuning in in the live cast if you weren't looking for spiritual Direction. We're all looking for that, and I found that in the meeting with God again and again. And there's a pattern here. There's a pattern of God's nearness in our lives, and also an intermittent breaking in, uh, and at times of magical moments, a pattern of of everyday nearness and intermittent flashes magical moments. The problem is though it's easy to miss it. It's easy to miss it. The hindsight is always better, but we can learn to watch for it in the present present moment as well. And we don't want to miss it because the meetings with God will change the quality of your day-to-day life, your moment-to-moment existence. They will also inform the trajectory of your life and this happened in the life of Jesus. There's a story in the gospel of Mark where again and again God meets Jesus in these ways I'm beginning to describe. Now this is a short story because Mark's writing style is short, crisp, but it's Full of meaning and direction. So, in just seven verses, we can see significant, three significant lives uh, or three significant events in the life of Jesus and how they set him on a course for the spiritual journey. In his case, to you know be part of bringing God's vision to all of humankind. So, let's read and then we'll double back. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. And the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts and the angels waited on him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. Now let's double back and look closely at this series of meetings. The first is that God met Jesus at his baptism. God met Jesus in the event of his baptism. And there's meaning in Jesus's baptism. His cousin John had been preaching in a rural region all around Jerusalem, uh, and the it had reached a point where crowds were coming out of Jerusalem, very diverse crowds coming from Jerusalem and all over the region and gathering at the Jordan River for baptism. And baptism to them, to John, was a sign that they wanted to change their lives and they wanted to change their hearts. This was a a, a corporate moment of cultural conversion, it was public, it was widespread. There was a widespread openness to a new way of spiritual life and to a a new way of political life and ideas. And the crowds were eager for new and they were coming out for it. There was much anticipation. Mark tells us nothing about the events of Jesus's life until this moment no nativity, no, no baby Jesus, no Mary, none of that, just begins right there. And he notes with importance that Jesus had traveled 100 kilometers from his um, home stomping grounds, his birthplace area uh, in, in Galilee south to, Jerus- to this Jerusalem area to take part in what was happening there. And we might expect a spiritual and political Messiah as we understand Jesus to have been. To greet his new followers like kings would have before, at least as a very important spiritual leader. Some kind of a, you know, an, an anointing, a coronation, executive orders, um, starting to fill his administration, making speeches. Jesus doesn't do any of that. He just steps in line with fellow community members uh, And what's notable of that is that Jesus was joining in solidarity, first and foremost, with the poor and with the oppressed. He is um, identifying with them, uh, positioning himself as one of us. And we'll see this again and again in his life. He doesn't seek attention, but he steps into the waters, from the edge of of the river shore into the waters and opens up to receive God's blessing, favor, affirmation, and uh, very powerfully, this voice comes from heaven and says, you're my beloved, and in you I'm well pleased. And in our devotions uh, for next week, there's a, a lovely painting of, of this scene that comes to us from Reverend uh, Liesl Gwynn Garrity. And she makes comment on the baptism and its meaning of this man, Jesus, stepping into the water, opening up spiritually, receiving uh, the, the favor of God like pouring rain and then the voice saying, you're my beloved child and I am pleased with you. We are family. I claim you. And that was the experience of the baptism. So in this meeting, God of human flesh steps out alongside, you know, ordinary human beings, the people he's going to be healing and teaching and feeding and caring for. And then God in spirit meets Jesus in that moment at the threshold of something new. Before Jesus begins to work, before he proves anything about himself, that identity of family and that affirmation of his essence is what everything will flow from. That's the source of God's power, so, or of Jesus' power. So God meets Jesus at the baptism, and then God meets Jesus in his wilderness. In the wilderness, second event. And the wilderness was the place where his character was tested. Oh, who likes to have their character tested? Worst thing in all of life. Brutal, right? Hard stuff. He's been to the water's edge. He's met the crowds. He knows what the movement's going to be all about. He knows he's a teacher and he knows God. And he's going to be tested. God leads him into the wilderness. It says the spirit led and is maybe saying, okay, so son, family member, we're in this together. How are we to accomplish this mission? How are we going to do this? And there was an accuser called Satan. And the accuser is not, you know, leading all this, but the accuser is there, knows that human beings are typically, well, always too wounded to be trustworthy with God's vision and power. And so there's this testing or this schooling that occurs. Accuser is not the teacher. The accuser is just kind of providing some momentum here uh, and, and making some trouble. And Jesus is confronted by, by God, I believe. How are you going to use the power that you've, you know, inherited? That's in your deep connection with God. You're going to use it to help people. or Are you going to use it to control people? What's your understanding of the spiritual life, Jesus? Is it this journey like Ryan just talked about? Or is it something else? Is it a life of secret tricks and magic wands? The one who commands it just presto change. Oh, I mean, you know, here's a good future for all of us. Or an attitude. I've got God on my side. (laughs) I got God's power. I can stand on the highest building and just jump off, and my God will catch me. We've all heard that kind of spirituality, haven't we? We've heard it before. I don't have to wear a mask in a raging pandemic. I'm invincible. I've got faith. My God will protect me. You can't tell me what to do. And then just to kind of, you know, protect oneself in case one does die in the pandemic, well... We're all going to die. It's a flu. It may get more of us, but I've got faith, and that's how I'm going to walk through this. We've heard that kind of spirituality. We've heard those connections made between God's power, God's power in us, and what the life of faith is like, and Jesus was tested for these attitudes. Jesus was tested for spiritually abusive or just naive or misguided attitudes, and Jesus was found trustworthy to move forward, trustworthy for the, you know, the care of vulnerable human beings who would look to him for spiritual guidance. In the wilderness, God was near and angels were sent to comfort Jesus. The text says that angels waited on Jesus and I've heard it said that God was absent in the wilderness. That's what makes it so awful and sent angels to do the caring or that God was absent or turned his back on Jesus on the cross. And sent women to care and show compassion. It's not how I see this. I believe with all my heart that God is always as close to any of us as our very breath. The air inside us, the air surrounding our bodies. But there are times in the wilderness when our character is being tested. It's so awful and debilitating that God sends extra people, extra spiritual companions Extra angels, those kinds of moments. And so God was there. And then the final meeting scene is when cousin John was arrested and pulled out of the theater. And God met Jesus in the arrest of his cousin John the Baptist. The text says that after John was arrested, Jesus returned to Galilee and began proclaiming the good news of God. He begins his teaching and his healing ministry without John's help. And John was the baptizer. John was the spiritual gatherer who got that community together. Um, And now Jesus is going to continue that, but without John. And this must have been a hard experience. After being affirmed by God at the Jordan River, looking forward to something so dynamic, feeling the favor of God, and then the rigors of the wilderness coming out of that depleted and then losing your cousin, So we have these arrests in our lives, and and God is there with us in that. It's the plan B moments when God is there. It's not what we're expecting, but God is there. And in all these things, there's a common thread. And don't miss this. The common thread is God's closeness. God's closeness. Closer than the air you breathe, God is with us in these life meetings. And so what does this mean to us as peacemakers? That's our term for, you know, disciples and Christ followers. We're peacemakers called, called into the theater, into the arena to live this pattern that Jesus has shown us, to be on that spiritual journey. What does it mean? Well, we can look back on our lives and see how God meets us again and again and again. The first poem in this next week's devotions is Remember When, and it's an invitation to look back on your life and remember your meetings with God, and I think you'll find it a very good prompt, and you're going to be surprised, and you're going to be encouraged. I did it last week. I tried, I'm trying to stay a week ahead of all of you so that I know what know what's coming and what it's all about. Um I did it. I I did that remembering. And I remember when God invited me to work here at this church, I was very excited. It was like a baptism. It was like an affirmation. It was like a, you know, tip your head back and let the rain hit your face and open yourself up spiritually and feel God's favor. And perhaps you've stepped into opportunities before where there was something like that and you feel affirmed and invited and it feels good. But soon after that moment, I went into a wilderness experience of testing. My character was brutally tested. I was a female pastor in senior leadership in a somewhat mega church a decade ago, and it was pretty much unheard of. And it set off a horrible testing for me personally, uh, for our church crossroads. Uh, I became... I'm just speaking for myself personally. There were many ramifications for the whole church family, but I became a lightning rod for criticism, false accusations. But the real testing for me was an encounter with God. And it, it wasn't coming from the brutality of my accusers, as often as that, as awful as that was. My character test happened in meetings with God. They were conversations like, so Katie, you wanted to teach and lead in a large setting. How's that going for you? How exactly do you plan to accomplish a mission this large? Uh, how do you plan to make it through the day to day management of what all of this means that you thought you wanted with your humanity intact and without leveraging, you know, some power? that would be inappropriate and destructive to yourself or to other people? What tactics are you going to pick up? What will your tools be? What's your leadership ethic? What is your vision of the spiritual life? Is it that journey like Ryan described? Do you really believe in that? Because if you're all in for that and that's what you're going to be teaching, that's a little countercultural to what a lot of people sign up for in their religion. And it might not be liked. And you're going to have to answer for it can be hard. What protective armor are you using? What do you have on? And what would happen if you laid it down in the arena? What would leadership be like then? It was hard. I answered to God in the wilderness. I can say that God was always close and faithful to me. And God sent friends to help me. Extra people. I can see their faces right now. And eventually I emerged from the wilderness with my human dignity slowly restored by God, because God met me again and again, and God meets you again and again. To reestablish your identity, those are like baptism moments, Uh, as a beloved child, to name you, make that clear, to equip you like happens in the testing of our character, the lessons, and then to send you out to proclaim the goodness of God because it comes fresh through these pivotal moments. We get fresh vision of who God is and we have new stories to tell and new songs to sing. I remember in that wilderness, just lying on my bed at night, uh, actually some time after it, probably two years after it, and realizing I think my feet are on the rock again. And thinking of the words of Psalm 40, uh, uh, I cried to God and he answered. And he lifted me out of the miry pit and set my feet on a rock and put a new song in my heart. And um, that sending part, Jesus went to his hometown and began to preach and heal and teach. You are sent as a peacemaker into new arenas and new settings through these meetings. Because when God meets you, it signals a shift it signals a shift. It could be from the mud pit to the solid ground. It's oftentimes from navel-gazing, like we've got some dream, but it's sort of all about me, to like, oh no, this is about community, and this is what this looks like in community. Um, From infantile spiritual demands, petty stuff, to a big vision of justice for all. Or or giving ourselves to God's work of justice for all. And always in that character test, away from behaviors that interfere with God's vision for the world. Always away from behaviors that interfere. That's a shift. Again and again, your mercy-filled God will meet you at the edge of something good. And it is not a landing place. It's a passageway. Or as some would say, a thin place or liminal space. It's a stepping into something new. It's a threshold. And remember that we don't go out looking for this. We, don't, we can't manufacture it. We can't engineer it. It's God who finds us and takes us into these moments. Amazing grace. I once was lost, and now I found God. It's not very poetic sounding or true. <laughs> I once was lost, and now I, it's a statement of identity, I am found. That's my name. I'm found. And the founder, the founder is out there doing the acting and, and leading me into these moments. So we can't, we can't make it happen, but there's something we can do. Peacemakers, you can accept the invitation and meet God in prayer. You can meet God in prayer. The thing that you can do is create a prayer world. You can create a dimension to your life and God will help you do this. A dimension to your life where there's a time and a rhythm that brings you joy, uh, where you, you meet with God, um, where you fill yourself with good ideas. What are the scriptures or the, the, the scriptural um, you know, books, that the spiritual books that bring good ideas into your world and form your world view? That's always a part of it. Good ideas. And then sacred places and spaces in this world. For many of us, it's nature. That'll come up in our devotions in this next week. Many of you find your prayer world as it exists. The setting for it is largely the natural world because you can't help meeting with God when you stand at the edge of the ocean or you're in the mountains or you're under a tree with your beloved pet by your side. And, And this is a work of creation. We create a prayer world and that, that's what we can do. It's our place and our space for meeting with God. Well, what is God inviting you into today? I just talked about what I <laughs> think I want you to do. And that's not really the question of the hour. What is God, what's hooked you? What's God inviting you into today? It might be to accept a better invitation into a mercy-filled and rest-filled life. What Ryan spoke about might have captured your interest. Uh, that's what I want. I don't want the treadmill of spirituality. I want the spiritual journey with the different kind of yoke. Or perhaps God's inviting you to step into a new prayer world and join that journey of Lent. If you join that journey of Lent, you don't have to do all the creating. That's why we're doing a creative one. Um, you'll be prompted and guided through it. And at the end of the 40 days, you'll say, I have a new world. I have a new world. I never thought I'd have that. Or perhaps it's to step out for justice for all and start a peacemaking venture or join in on one. Maybe you're already an action-oriented person in your spirituality or it's time to get from the nasal, na- na- navel, nasal gazing, navel gazing and lift your head and make peace for other people like Jesus did. Well, this next song is called Beloved. It's about our identity. It's about our essence. Um, Let it wash over you. Let it reestablish who you really are.